on today's show. And I remember sitting in the Uber ride going to the bar to record that first episode and all the self-doubt that was going through my mind. I'm like, oh, this is going to be right. terrible. I should just tell the car to turn around right now. But I remember going through that first episode and when I was done, just being so energized, thinking it's like, this is why I did this. This is a blast. I can't wait to do this again. Five, four, Hi everyone, it's Eric. Uh, welcome to today's episode. Today's episode is a really fun one. And the reason I think it's so enjoyable is we'll get to meet a, a guy named Chris Lukey who had in some ways what he describes as a, uh, a midlife crisis at 25 when he sort of found himself stuck. Um, you know, he was enjoying his work, but didn't feel like he was tapping into that creative energy. And so uh, one weekend he goes out, uh, buys a little bit of a, a, you know, a, a selfie stick and starts recording some things. And that led him to create his first YouTube series, uh, the Manufacturing Happy Hour, which has helped him land clients and grow his business for uh, his, at his day job, Rockwell Automation. And then once he had the bug, he decided, hey, I'm going to launch a podcast. And he launched Pubcast Worldwide, where he interviews guests over beers. What, what's fascinating about Chris, and I think what I enjoyed about talking to him is he, in a lot of ways, has created his own, um, you know, master's degree. He's created his own master's degree by basically saying, listen, one day I would like to be a CMO. And rather than go out and spend $25,000 or $50,000 getting an MBA, I'm going to go out and actually try and do some things on my own. I'm going to go out and create my own uh, video series on YouTube that now has you know hundreds of subscribers and, and has been something that his customers love. And then say, you know, listen, I also want to try this podcasting world, buy a little bit of equipment and get out there. Um, so I think it shows that anyone can do this no matter where you are at. Um, and it can be something that can actually help you advance at your job as well as scratch that creative creative itch. He's now the, the person who coaches his own friends who say, you know, I'd like to do a podcast or I'd like to do a video series by saying, all right, great. Tell me the date when I can expect to see the first episode. And, and I think that's a great motivator for, for all of us. Um, Chris is someone I've got to see as a young college student grow into this early career. And I think seeing this point when someone feels stuck and understanding that Chris has created his way out of that to find something he loves and really create his own path um, to really create his own MBA program, frankly, to one day become a CMO. And I'm excited to share the conversation. I think you'll find that the, the work required is is equivalent to that, but the, the benefits um, are much, much bigger. Chris Lukey, everyone. Chris Lukey, ladies and gentlemen, super excited to have you here today. And um, this is going to be fun. I, we've sort of known each other through our alumni status and, and actually by being sort of members of the same fraternity. So I've been able to watch your sort of adventures even in college. And it's, it's fascinating to sort of see how it's gone. And I'm excited to, to dig in with you today. Likewise. Thanks for having me here, Eric. And it is exciting to connect here uh, over the airwaves, so to speak. That's right. The crazy airwaves that they are. Um, so it's fun for me to sort of, uh, you know, casually know you. And I sort of knew you as an, an undergraduate. And, you know, then here's me, this old, old dude who's sort of knowing you as an undergraduate and seeing you. And, and, and in some ways, you know, what you expect to happen when you meet someone in college and, and you get to know them uh, when they're in college and you're not is they kind of they come out of, of college and they sort of have this early career stuff and they sort of go dark. And that was kind of what happened with you in a lot of ways. Like whatever, you know, you were sort of doing your thing and, and you know, working and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and I would say it was about 
a little more than a year ago that you sort of popped back on the radar. And I was like, whoa, this guy's like doing some interesting stuff. And, and as I was like reflecting on your journey, it's, uh, it, it was, it's almost as if I would say you had this sort of early career uh, midlife crisis that, that I saw. And you attacked it in a very interesting way. A lot of people are like switching jobs, but you had a different approach to your early career, mid-career crisis. Uh, so why don't you tell us the story of what sort of happened in your uh, journey uh, uh, you know, in the sort of fall of 2016? Sure. So, so to give a little background, I've spent my career working for an uh, manufacturing technology company or an automation company called Rockwell Automation. So, uh, like you mentioned, as a bunch of people kind of jump around as they go through kind of that early career development, early career crisis, if you will. You know, I, I found a job uh, in a role that that really fit many parts of my skill set. I'm a degreed mechanical engineer, but I've been in technical sales for the entirety of my career, working in account management, business development, various markets. Uh, but uh, like you said, about this would have been September, October 20, uh, 2016, mm-hmm. I realized I didn't feel like I was tapping into the entirety of my skill set. I've always been good at building client relationships, driving new business, but th- there was this, uh, I'll, I'll just be blunt, a creative element that I felt was missing from my role. Yeah. A couple of my hobbies in the past had been playing in bands, performing, being on radio. And, you know, I hadn't really done anything with that uh, for, at I would say, about five years. You had like a and jobby job. That's all you were doing, right? Exactly. Exactly. I was, I was heads down. I was learning a lot. There was definitely, a, I think, a lot of good things that came from being focused on the work. But at the same time, I got to that point where I felt like I had been, you know, suppressing some parts of my personality and my energy that I could really bring to my role to bring in some more results. So, did you, before, sitting, before, you, before you go there under that one, I want to I want to pause and sort of reflect on that moment. Were you sort of seeing all this going on? Uh, like social media today has this weird weird amplifying effect where it, you see people switching jobs and, and all this sort of stuff. Did you okay. have that moment where you're like, maybe that's what I should be doing? You'd, you'd been in in the role for for what five years or so at that point, um, sort of. Five, six years? Yeah, I'd, I'd been in, I guess it would have been probably about the six-year mark. I'd worked in Houston for a few years, and I'd been now I'm working out here in the Bay Area. So I'd had a couple, you know, mm-hmm. different roles within there, but that was about the point. But you'd been sort of with the same company a lot of ways. And part of this, what I find is interesting is like people need a moment to sort of celebrate to others that they're continuing to progress, they're making it. Did you sort of have this moment where you're looking around at your peers and saying maybe, you know, maybe I'm sort of need to make a change. Yeah, it's 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 funny you say that because the way I looked at the change that I'm sure we're going to talk about more here in a minute is that, you know, when I looked at a lot of my peers, I didn't necessarily have that, have that same FOMO or fear of missing out that I think some people have to an amplifying standpoint. Right. But I did realize, you know, I'd been in a pretty similar role for those, you know, six years or so. And my thought was, it's like, I don't necessarily want to change roles or change companies just for the sake of doing that. What I do want to do is tap into some of my strengths that I don't think I've utilized and try to build an enhanced role around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's this sense of, um, I often describe this as you've got these sort of 
uh, circles of interests that don't overlap. And in some ways it's like, you feel like, Hey, I got a, I got this creative energy. You're talking about bands and radio and stuff like that. And maybe that's just a side thing. And you took a different path, right? You've got the job circle and you've got these sort of hobby circles and, uh, and uh, tell the story then a little bit of how you said maybe these circles might, uh, might, might have a Venn diagram to them. Yeah, so I, I really wanted to try to bring them all together because I figured in the long run for me to be fulfilled professionally, it would make sense to bring in the things that I loved and the things I was good at into whatever I was doing professionally. So as I was sitting there at kind of an, an end of the fiscal year leadership conference, I was, you know, we were talking about ways to expand and ways to grow. And it was one of those. I'll call it a bit of an aha moment, but maybe one of those gradual coming to realization that I needed to do something that played into those kind of media and entertainment interests and loop that into my job. Um, so I got, I was thinking, how do I make my industry, which is for all practical purposes, industrial manufacturing. So kind of an old school, often perceived as stodgy industry. And I wanted to come up with a way to amplify my voice to get important messages impacting the industry out there, but also do it in a way that was fun, approachable, and quite frankly, a little more attractive and a little different than had been done before. Were you worried about what the what's your what's your boss going to say about this? Like, do, you know, is there's a sense of oh gosh, you know, here's Chris not putting in extra hours and doing <laughs> the, the standard stuff. Was that something that, that went through your head? You know, I'll be honest, it it was not as much of a concern, and I will credit that to my company for having a very you know forward thinking proactive culture that encourages that type of creativity. In fact, my my manager was one of the first people to be like, dude, I would say go ahead and go for it. Like, don't, <laughs> don't spend too much time worrying. Because the reality was what, what I started initially was just this kind of small YouTube series that I was just sending the videos out to my immediate customers in the Bay Area. So it, was, it wasn't a really far-reaching thing. And, and the immediate consequences would have been more along the lines of, you know what, just stop doing that. But yeah. um, it turned out to be quite the opposite of that, which I'm sure we'll get into more in a little bit. Yeah. So tell me about the uh, your your sort of. I always find that first step to be an interesting one. Uh, you described it to me earlier as the the selfie stick moment, where you decided to, <laughs> to you decided to decide to prototype what uh, what you might create to sort of uh, scratch that creative itch while uh, sort of also you know doing something related to your your career. Yeah. So so kind of the official aha moment. This is right after that leadership conference I was telling you about, where I was doing doing that self-reflecting. It was a Saturday. I was just sitting in my apartment. Um, I, I want to preface this. I don't always work on Saturday, but for <laughs> whatever reason, I was I was sitting in front of my computer and we got a video newsletter from our company, you know, just kind of an internal communication. And I'm like, huh, that would be kind of fun. So I, and, and I came up with my own little spin on it. I went to my kitchen, I grabbed a pint glass and I put like my iPhone on a selfie stick, propped it up with a bunch of books and I shot what was ultimately like a two to three minute video where I said, hey, I have this idea and rather than <laughs> write it to you in an email, I wanted to record it in a way that I'm thinking of doing it for our customers. Put that together. I sent it to my manager. I sent it to a handful of my mentors and the, I mean, the response was awesome. It was just like a lot of excitement. They're like, Hey, this is really cool. I love the way you're, you know, making it more approachable. You're talking about important topics over a beer. It makes it something that's n less less intimidating and something where it's like, hey, this is really something that we can discuss in a normal matter. Mm -hmm. And 
not have to be too concerned with all the technical bits and bytes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing too. It's it's sort of probably if you would have said, "Hey, I want to have a meeting on this and I want to talk about it," it might have taken months. But instead, you just sort of hustled your way towards something and and said, "All right, like I'm going to show you," as opposed to tell you, and uh, and 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 in some ways positions you very differently as a creator of kind of just something versus someone who's got an idea that may or may not happen. Yeah, and and I think you you, you kind of nailed it on the head there within. Any, any corporate culture, there can be a, a number of steps to get something off the ground. So at some point there needs to be that, that you need, there needs to be those individuals that are like, I'm going to take action on this. I'm going to do it appropriately and, you know, make sure I'm not crossing too many lines. But at the same time, it's better to start creating that than looking for permission. Yeah. Ask for, beg for forgiveness, not permission. Um, or just do something that never would need forgiveness. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So that's, t- well, that's always the hope. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me how this went from a, a little hack where you put it on, you know, the, uh, the, the selfie stick to uh, a, a named thing that sort of has evolved. Tell me about the evolution of the manufacturing happy hour. Sure. So we really started, I mean, we didn't waste too much time after that first video. I grabbed a couple of my coworkers that were into the idea and we shot I think probably two to three I'll call them pilot episodes they were uh, where we sat in our process lab which has a lot of our equipment behind us it's a pretty it ends up being a pretty nifty and applicable backdrop for our show we made a couple episodes we started sending them out and I knew early on one of the biggest things to uh, around this pending success of the series would be engagement of my mm-hmm. customer base. Right, right. So to to stir some interest early on, we gre- we slapped some of our company logos onto the pint glass. We recorded with those, and we said, "Hey, anyone that responds with feedback gets a free pint glass." So we had this ah, little nice. giveaway and a yeah. little bit of an incentive to get people going. But the reality is, I don't even think we would have needed to give that pitch right off the bat because huh. one of the first questions I started getting from my customers was, um, you know, hey, how can I get one of those pint glasses of their own? There was, in addition to a good message that we were delivering in these videos, there was a like a, a branding element that yeah. we thought might be there, but what had a much bigger connection with our customers early on than we thought. Hmm. And why did you decide to go with, you know, uh, with a beer, right? Like, what, what was the, the decision to say, like, let's make this different than just like, hey, me on a screen talking about stuff. You said, I'm going to make this feel like a happier. What, what was the, the thought process behind it? So so a couple things there. You know, one, we, we just uh, loved the ring of manufacturing happy hour. And you <laughs> yeah. said, it, and, and we both talked about it, how it, it makes it a more casual, approachable topic. Right. There's actually a big personal element element that goes mm-hmm. into it as well. I'm, I'm actually from St. Louis, Missouri, originally uh, went to college in Milwaukee. So two of the biggest brewing hubs in the Midwest. Yeah. And, and my first job was actually working with Anheuser-Busch and uh, my family, my, my dad, my dad's dad, all his brothers, they worked for the brewery in St. Louis. So there's a bit of a personal story to that, where that's something that's been a little part of me. And I think that's one thing that's resonated with people is people understand that's um, maybe not necessarily a part of my history per se, but they know that I'm kind of that event planner, that social organizer. So it adds 
not only a approachable element, but a personal element to it that I think people can really relate to. And what what, what has been the reaction? How has it uh, evolved since then? So I, I guess one, I'll, I'll start with a, a fun note. Anytime I meet with one of my customers now, I can't leave the meeting with them not telling me about like the latest brewery they've been to or the latest beer they've tried. So there's a, there's an immediate personal connection that has kind of spawned from this. I, I mean, the, the video series has really grown in a number of different ways that we didn't initially expect. As far as content goes, we've started going beyond, you know, what was initially a lot of product updates, a very technical series, to talking about broader issues that impact the manufacturing industry, like recruiting the next generation, retaining millennial talent, um, big topics like the Internet of Things, how that impacts manufacturers and the overall enterprise. So the topics have broadened. What we've also done with it is, uh, and and I don't know if this was intentional on the front end subconsciously or if it just kind of evolved that way, we started doing actual manufacturing happy hours throughout the Bay Area hmm. where we bring oh, cool. our forward-thinking customers together um, for not only a networking happy hour, but an opportunity for them to share their own best practices, build relationships. Because at the end of the day, my company is just one part of the manufacturing ecosystem. But I found a way that would really bring value to the industry is to bring my customers together so that they could also find ways to work with one another, find ways to get on one another's approved vendors lists, and really build relationships among themselves with myself and my company serving as the catalyst for those introductions. And as I was perusing your, your YouTube channel, the, the the last episode of the 2017, which is your first full year, shows you in front of a fire <laughs> with a Santa hat on. And you know, I think it's, it shows your personality. Does this change the dynamic you have with your customers, right? There's sort of oftentimes this like salesperson, like, oh gosh, like this guy is just calling me for business versus now they see you as just Chris. How have you seen that evolve as you've gone along? I, I've certainly seen more trust in the conversations that I've had yeah. with my customers. I mean, I, like you were suggesting, the last episode was me doing essentially a holiday episode where the focus wasn't on any particular topic. All that episode was was a thank you and a happy holidays. Enjoy your time off for the year. Um, you know, it, within my first year, I can tell you I probably would not have been as comfortable sending out something as, you know, I would say more open, more personal like that. Um, it's it's create a sense of trust, not only in, you know, a scenario of sending out a holiday video, but the type of conversations we're really able to have at our customers in terms of how can we help your company grow? What are the challenges you're really facing, whether it's revenue related, production related, it just opens up folks to realizing that, you know, Chris isn't just some sales guy that's trying to push the latest gadget. He's putting in the hours to try to find additional ways to bring us value. And, and I think the fact that the video series is still largely an, an extracurricular that just happens to, to play into my job shows that because it's, right. it's, it's certainly nothing that I'm able to do with a lot of my hours during, during my day job. At the end of the day, I'm still an account executive and I've got to serve my customers first and foremost. This is kind of an, an after hours project. Right. Right. I mean, and it, but you have, you know, 
you have hundreds of people watching these videos. So it's also not as if it's one of those things that it has allowed you to probably amplify in a way that you may not have ever had been able to do. You can't make, you know, you can't make 300 calls in the time it takes for you to create this and get it out there. So I'm sure this has sort of changed your status um, in the industry. How is your sort of reputation changed a little bit? Like, what do you, what do you see now that people reaching out to you as opposed to you always having to reach out? Well, I think one, one thing I've seen is I'm, I'm perceived more as, I, I hate the word thought leader, um, but they're, they're, yeah. they're cause I, I really look at it as being more of a do leader. Like you want to be out there and doing the things. Sure. Um, uh, certainly it shows that, I'm going out there trying to find the latest information and figure out what's impacting my customers because all the videos that I shoot for the most part, they're partially my idea for the topics. But what I'm really doing is through the engagement on social media, whether it's LinkedIn or on YouTube, I'm asking my customers and the audience that's viewing this video series, because to be honest, at at this point a year in, it's not just my Bay Area customers that are watching anymore. People from around the country, sometimes around the world. And I say, hey, what are the issues that you're struggling with that we should make a video on. And that's where mm-hmm. we've got some some topics coming up that are focused really around security and the internet of things uh, and concrete examples of how other manufacturers and other companies are bringing results to their process to improve productivity, to reduce scrap, to get information in real time. A lot of that's come from feedback from the viewers of the video series. That's cool. That's cool. What is the, uh, you know, the, the 2017 end of year performance review meeting look like with your boss? Like what do your bosses say when they're like, Oh, cool. Like, what do we think? You know, uh, how these things, things play out. How's that changed for you? And what do you see in that, that conversation? I, I, I will say manufacturing happy hour is almost, almost seems to be the forward topic of all of those discussions. Now it's not specifically <laughs> awesome. just diving into the numbers to diving into other objectives on uh, my performance review. It's one of those things that automatically stands out, whether it's in a performance review or just a conversation with another executive um, w- within Rockwell Automation. I mean, this is something that, you know, as I said, since it's going out on LinkedIn, a lot of people in my network are starting to get wind of it. And since yeah. it is something that's done while it's fun, it's still done professionally and it's gotten, a, right. it's gotten a lot of positive feedback that way. And it's what I think it has done is it's made this almost the front of mind element yeah. of my personal brand within my organization. Yeah. It's your portfolio, right? I think that's the, the interesting part about it is it becomes an element of your depth of knowledge. It's sort of, it, you know, I'm guessing it's one of those things that people probably would watch some of the videos if they're trying to get to know you or meet you in advance. It's the thing that people probably would look at first to say, who is this crazy, crazy guy? Totally, totally. Because I mean, we we suggested earlier, you know, when when I've got a customer base of hundreds of customers, at the end of the day, I can't show my face in front of them every minute of every day. This is a way that, on essentially, you know, a twice a month basis, they're see they're at least seeing my face virtually talking about a topic that's important to their business. Great, that's awesome. So, so you uh, 
you, you get this, you get the taste of beer, so to speak, and uh, and, a, and a little bit of success, and uh, you don't stop there. It, it's, and and I would say this is probably the point where I started to actually pay attention. Was you as you described, you have your your channel on on LinkedIn, which is your professional sets of videos. Uh, something else started popping up on my Facebook wall uh, a few months later that also had to do with beer. Tell me a little bit about the uh, the start of Pubcast Worldwide. Yeah, so I guess to I. I feel I feel like I might be in this overly creative mode right now, given that I <laughs> yeah, feel like right. I suppressed it for five or six years. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally, it's all flooding out. I know, man. Like, literally around the same time that I started manufacturing Happy Hour, I, I, I view Pubcast Worldwide, which is the way I describe it, is it's the podcast where I talk to interesting people over beers at the best bars and breweries around the world. So I travel a lot for work and I travel a lot personally. And I wanted to add an element to my brand, I should say, that was, you know, a, a little more personal, a little a little more outside of work. And Pubcast Worldwide really came about where I said to myself, if I could be doing anything in the world right now, what would it be? And I'm like, well, you know, I've been in sales for a long time, so I know how to connect with people and, and you know, find ways to, to bring them value. I would love to do something like Anthony Bourdain does where he like travels around and hangs out with really cool people. So I'm like, what's a platform that I could do that for? So I, I literally built Pubcast Worldwide from that, you know, interest of adding that element to my lifestyle and having kind of a personal art project that while there's some overlap between that and manufacturing happy hour really started more as a a you know self-driven project (laughs) it's amazing and and you know for people who don't know what it's like to do this how difficult you talked about the 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 process of putting together your youtube first hack video with the uh the selfie stick how difficult was it to film the first episode or sort of sort to record the first episode of uh, of the show. I'll I'll tell you what I was. Uh, it, for, first of all, I I will preface it saying it is not as difficult as people make some of these <laughs> things out yeah. out to. The, literally, the hardest part is just starting. And as you get started, you'll very quickly learn there's more work that goes into it than you expect. But the barrier to entry itself is very minimal. It's really just about getting that self confidence, getting over any fears and doubts you have and just doing it. Because when I recorded the first episode of Pubcast Worldwide, I bought two cheap USB microphones off of Amazon. I think they were like 30 bucks each. Mm -hmm. Um, Popped them into my laptop. I had four acquaintances, friends, and and other professionals that I had kind of queued up as my first four guests for the show. And and I remember sitting in the Uber ride going to the bar to record that first episode and all the self-doubt that was going through my mind. I'm like, oh, this is going to be terrible. I should just tell the car to turn around right now. But I remember going through that first episode. And when I was done, just being so energized, thinking it's like, this is why I did this. This is a blast. I can't wait to do this again. That's amazing. And you, you've, it's, it's amazing to see, like you've taken this worldwide, you know, as much as you might tongue in cheek it, you're in, you know, the most recent ones, uh, Czechoslovakia, Croatia. Uh, what's the process like for you of going to a new country and deciding, uh, I want to drink beer and I'm going to find someone to drink with. How, how does that go to sort of, f- to figure out how you're going to do an episode? As, as much as I'd like it to all be planned out in a 
advance, I can tell you this first year, it, it could be a challenge to grab a guest sometimes. I'll, uh, I'll share a story. So uh, through, through my network, I've had, you know, you mentioned the Czech Republic, you mentioned Croatia, and, and the other one I did over in Europe was London this year. I had the Czech Republic totally planned out in advance. I knew how, who I was interviewing, where I was doing it, and what time. I kind of had Croatia planned. I could not, for the life of me, find a guest to interview in London in advance. So huh. I was I was flying over there thinking, I have to do an episode here. I've, yeah. I've pitched this as being a worldwide show, so I can't leave London without having this happen. So um, there's a lot of hustle that goes into it sometimes. I remember it was Sunday. I had my recording equipment on me, and I was doing basically a brewery crawl across London trying to find you know, one of the breweries who had like one of their head brewers or owners there that was interested in this. And I was basically given cold pitches at the breweries that I showed up to until <laughs> no way. You know, finally after, after one or two, I stumbled upon a brewery that was actually closed that day. And they're like, no, man, we're closed right now. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I, I've, I think I'm different than the normal, you know, American guest that stumbles through here. I do a podcast and they were, they were actually, their whole staff was there building a keg raft for a regatta no that they way. had that day. That's so like amazing. a raft on kegs. So it was, it, it ended up being one of the coolest interviews I've ever done because they're like, oh man, that's awesome. Hey, come in here, have some beer. We'll get you set up for an interview here. And I spent a couple hours hanging out with these guys and trying a ton of different beers that they had and ended up getting some good content out of it. So I know that story kind of rambled a little bit, nah. but the reality is, you know, when you're starting a project, like in my case, Pubcast Worldwide, it it, it varies in terms of how easy it is to lock down a guest. Sometime you're going to have it all planned out in advance. You're going to be ready to go. Other times there's a lot of just grassroots hard work that goes into to nailing down a conversation. And were you surprised at the the reaction? I mean, I think the the Daily Travel Show uh, has, you know, wrote of your podcast, uh, it's down to earth, it's informative, and craft beer has a way of bringing like minds together, opening us up. Is it surprising that people see this little, you know, excuse for you to drink beer and, inter and talk to interesting people as uh, something that they enjoy to this degree? You know, I, I think, and uh, the way I would phrase it is that when I knew I was going in to do, whether we're talking manufacturing happy hour, whether we're talking about the pubcast, knowing that I was doing a very drinking oriented series, I knew on the back end, I would need to make sure I was doing it very professionally. Mm. Otherwise, it would be something That's that was very quick to dismiss yeah. as something that, you know, oh yeah, this guy's just like some traveling drunk. He's not adding any value. I wanted to make sure as I was doing the interviews and having the conversations that I was asking meaningful questions so that I'd be able to get a response from people like you mentioned the daily travel show saying hey this is legit like it's done in a manner that's really connecting people just you know being a couple couple guys drinking beer so that's it, it, so it it it, it's it has surprised me a little bit it's it, what uh, the biggest thing is it's I didn't know what to expect going into this it's like are people going to listen are people going to like it what's so it's really getting over that uncertainty and just running with something that you really enjoy doing, even if the immediate results aren't there all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's uh, to your point. It's one of those those things that you do it for yourself 
and you hope other people enjoy the process that you're going through and the results of it. But at the end of the day, you started these entire projects because you were like, I needed to scratch that creative itch. And um, when you put it out there, it's sort of surprising what happens. Yeah. And I, and I think the biggest thing is once you get going and you start scratching that personal creative itch, the biggest thing people can do in any any of these endeavors is to make sure you know that individual is listening to their audience because your audience will ultimately tell you what direction you want to go with your show. And that's what keeps people engaged. Um, whether you're making a product, a podcast, a video series, whatever that may be, it's constantly listening for that feedback and finding a way to incorporate it in so that not only you're scratching your own itch, but you're helping the audience scratch their itch as well. Have you found a favorite beer so far that you've been able to uh, discover through this? Cause that, that's, that's gotta be a good excuse too, of to like, I've got to go try more beers because I've got a, an episode this week. Any, any amazing beers that you've discovered so far? Oh man, tons. Um, I will say, as you were talking about that one that does stand out. Um, and, and if, if the, the folks listening to this ever want to tune into the show, episode 16, um, I went to a brewery in Dallas where they had a beer that was a take on a white Russian. So the the famous like Big Lebowski cocktail with mm. Kahlua and vodka and milk. I had a beer um, that is basically, I think they call it the Caucasian, which is the other name people call white Russians. And man, that thing, it's, it was thick. It wasn't too sweet, but it really imitated that cocktail pretty darn well. Hmm. And, and in that episode, I let out a pretty audible, wow, this is an incredible <laughs> beer. So uh, that's, that's one of those things that's fun about doing a, a live drinking show is you get some of those reactions that you might not get if the interview weren't in person. I thought you you wrote a blog post recently too, sharing um, your your podcasting equipment, and 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 part of it you say that so many people have asked me how I do this that I've had to pull this together. What has been the reaction of other people? Like, well, I want to do this too. If Chris can do it, have, have you? What have you been surprised by? It? People saying, "Hey, I'd like to to get in the act as well." Yeah, it's a uh, it's funny that you bring that up because that uh, that blog article and and honestly, I need to do a couple more like that. I wrote that because that was the most common question I was getting from people. With within my network or outside my network, they're like, Hey man, how do you, how do you set this up? So, you know, my, again, just listening to what your audience or what your network is saying, that's usually where I come up with the next piece of content that I put out. Um, I should say an unofficial role I've started to adopt recently is my friends will approach me saying, Hey, Chris, I've got this idea for this, <laughs> you know, this project or whatever it is. And I'm like, great. That sounds like a cool idea. When are you going to get started? And they're like, yeah. Oh, I just, I just need to find find the time for it. So I'm like, the time's there. It's just a matter of priority. So I usually end that conversation saying, all right, I know you're busy right now, but I'm going to add a little calendar entry one month out, two months from now, and I'm going to ping you on that idea again, because I think it's cool and I'd hate to see it go to waste. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I've, I've become this unofficial uh, motivator of other people looking to to get off of square one to start their creative projects. I think I've found that for the vast majority of people to actually move into becoming a creator where you're sort of creating these, these elements, be it manufacturing happy hour podcast, even working on a book, the biggest thing is that it takes a little coaching. And and I think it's that's what you're doing in some ways is, is not only saying, hey, you should do this, but I'm going to check in with you and see how you've made progress on it. And that simple act of basically checking back in, uh, it, it will create those weird things going on 
in our brains where like, well, Chris is counting on me. Now I've got to go buy some equipment or do whatever it is. And, and so I think it's an important thing, whether, and, you know, whether people are motivated to do this on their own or not, I always tell people the most important thing you can do to shipping anything that you create is having other people that count on you. And, uh, and that's what I think a coach is really good at doing. Absolutely. And, and I wouldn't put myself in the official coach category yet, but I, oh, you seen- are. Oh, you are my friend. Yes, <laughs> right, you are. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in there. But, uh, yeah, my, my biggest thing is I think there are a lot of great ideas out there. And I also think there are a lot of great ideas that never come to fruition, whether it's, you know, an excuse, fear, someone saying they don't have enough time. So at this point in time, I'm trying to put a stop to that as best I can to help people get their ideas out there by being that accountability partner, right. for lack of a better word. Right. Yeah, it's your, you're their, uh, their, their workout buddy, helping them, helping them do it. Um, 2017, big year for you in terms of scratching that itch. Uh, how, do you, how do you sort of continue to think about these as they evolve and, and grow? Because it's, uh, you know, a lot of people would think, oh, I'll, I'll bite off one thing. You bit off two pretty big things. Yes. Um, how, do you, how do you keep going in this way to sort of keep this happening and evolving and continuing to sort of help you grow? Yeah, I think one, you know, one thing 2017 allowed me to do was really scratch that creative itch and get a lot of that content out there organically. I think one of the things that keeps me going, it's like, hey, how can I take this to the next level? So, you know, we're recording this near the start of 2018. And the big thing I want to focus on is more deliberate growth for next year. Now that I've kind of got the creative process and the production process into more of a habit, I'm freeing up time to really focus on how can I be more of a strategic marketer, um, you know, a strategic audience builder, because, you know, if, I, if I'm looking at this kind of from a career standpoint, I, you know, I'd, I'd really like to be a chief marketing officer someday. I want to develop more of those tactical marketing type skills, because like I said, I've been in sales my whole time. So there's there's a developmental focus to this as well. So where I'm looking at taking this is figuring out ways to be more systematic and more strategic about growing my audience and adding more value for my listeners and viewers. Mm-hmm. You didn't let the fact that you didn't know what that would turn into stop you from just trying it. And and I think now, now like you said, now that you've sort of gotten the kinks out of the creation process, now it's like, all right, now how do I, how do I grow this into the next, next st- steps and stages? Absolutely. Did, did you have fears that, uh, you know, like, what's what's the point when I get this out there? Do I have to keep going at it forever? Like what's the, the, the I also see a sense of people saying, I don't know if I'm com- ready to commit a year to this. And how did you, when you started out specifically on Pubcast, how did you say, what's the time horizon you're going to give yourself to try this out? Was it a couple episodes? Was it like an indefinite? Or did you have that in mind to say, this is the the sort of experiment that I'm going to run and the, the, uh, the, the leeway I'm going to give myself to do it? That's a great question. I think that that is an area that that holds people up. What I, I had mentioned that I bought some really cheap equipment to start that show. And I intentionally did that because early on in the process, I wanted to figure out, is this something that I really like doing? Hmm. Like, Or is this just something that's like kind of a flash in the pan type hobby? So I bought some cheap equipment and set up four initial interviews to really test those waters. Um, Because what I tell people too to kind of get that fear out the door is early on say, hey, even if you decide this isn't what you like to do, just try to figure that out early in the process. There's no shame to trying something new and realizing, you know what, for this reason, that reason, whatever it may be, this isn't what I, you know, I thought I was going to be as passionate about. And that's fine if you, you know, if you kind of pull the plug at that point, because you can go on to try something different at that point. So really, my thought was kind of four episodes, try 
it out with just some cheap equipment just to test out the concept. Um, and pretty quickly I started figuring out it wasn't just going to be a flash in the pan type thing. Yeah. I, I got those recorded within a couple months. And at that point I'm like, all right, it's time to, to drop a little more coin on some appropriate equipment. Still not yeah. a big barrier to entry, but yeah. I think there is some value to, to testing the waters to figure out if it is something that you're going to be really driven to do. Mm-hmm. I tell people to think of these in terms of uh, like to launch a, a season or a series or something in that way. I think that, I think that just trying to do one isn't, isn't sufficient, but how do you structure this in a, that has a beginning, middle and an end that you can say I completed it? Um, because I do think that this process of overthinking saying I've got to launch a podcast is a big lift for people. Well, does that mean I have to do it forever versus success can be, I launched a podcast series or a season or whatever you want to describe it as an article series of the blog post to me that sort of solves that problem of you can claim success if you finish and then don't do it anymore versus oh yeah like i shut the podcast down no i finished three seasons and then i was done you know whatever that might be yeah and that that's a great way to describe it because i take i take a a similar approach to getting people to to get off of top dead center like i think one of the common things i hear is you know not maybe not a podcast as often but a blog people are like hey i'm thinking of starting about this blog or this website. I'm like, great. I can tell you how to start that in five minutes by setting up a medium account and (laughs) writing your first article. So I'm like, there's no barrier to entry with that. Don't worry about the website right now. Figure out if you just like writing a piece of content, you can get it out there. And like I said, five minutes, your account set up and you can go to town and they make it very easy for you to, to write an article there. So I, when, whenever I hear someone talking about a new creative idea or a new endeavor they want to pursue, I try to look at it and say, what is the quickest way? for this person to get started so they can try it out. Mm-hmm. It's the, don't let the systems get in the way. And and that's to your point, you spent, you know, like you said, under a hundred bucks and, uh, you know, under 10 hours and had a proven that you had a, had something that you learned something. And that was interesting to do on, on this. I always say it, you can do almost anything to try out for under a hundred bucks. And if you can't, then you're not trying hard enough. Yep. No, it's a very a very good way to put it. So where are the places that you are most excited about? You've traveled to four countries. Where are the places that you're taking the uh, pubcast globally uh, now that you've you've had your first tastes of international beers as part of the the tour? Boy, that is that's a big question and there's there's still a little planning to do for for 2018. I can I can give you a preview of some of the things that are in the works. Um I still need to plan out some of my international jaunts. Some of the spots that are on the potential docket are Western Europe, like France mm-hmm. and Ireland and Portugal, uh, looking at potentially taking it over to Japan mm-hmm. and Asia this year as well for a stint. Um, I'll, I will, th- this, this may sound like a little bit of a lame answer, but I'm pretty excited to take it back to my hometown of St. Louis here yeah, very soon for right. my first couple hometown episodes. Cause that's, uh, that's the city that really first introduced me to beer. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the times the Midwestern cities are, you know, unfortunately characterized as flyover spots, but there are a lot of creative entrepreneurial individuals in those spots that I am really excited to help them share their story on the podcast coming up here soon. And I'm going to bring up a really touchy subject and that is uh, your formerly beloved Rams. What is uh, <sighs> like, tell me about, tell me about the protest. I want to hear this. What is the, uh, h- how are you showing your, your disappreciation for uh, what the, how the Rams broke your heart? Yeah, boy, you, you are certainly bringing up a touchy subject, but totally. uh, I, I think you, you, 
you caught wind of uh, one of my my blog posts recently yeah. that I actually reshared. So um, being being a St. Louis and I have a lot of hometown pride. I have a St. Louis tattoo on my right ankle. So I, uh, I I view myself as a cheerleader for the city of St. Louis. So when when the owner of the St. Louis Rams chose to move away uh, purely out of greed, um, I was I was very upset, and I think the way I describe it is I try not to focus a lot on negative energy or things that are out of my control. But if there's one area I'm going to direct that to, it's towards the the, the, <laughs> the now Los Angeles Rams franchise. So in addition to uh, more of the constructive blogging, you describe them. You describe them as the loss L O S S Angeles Rams. Yes, if we they if had, we had to be really clear here. <laughs> They they had just been booted from the playoffs when I reposted that article. Um, but to share the story, I uh, last season when they were really bad, I hooked up with a St. Louis sports blog. I'm like, hey, can I go to the game and like just completely troll the team? So I wrote an article discussing the the mediocrity of the game day experience, <laughs> for lack of a better word, a, a Los Angeles Rams game. So um, while I don't have a massive amount of free time on my hands, I will continue to troll uh, the Rams and their ownership in my own little way as a, a subtle form of protest as much as I can. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listen, I think that is the, uh, you got it. You got to have hometown pride. And so if you, if you don't, What's the point there? You can never, if you are someone that goes out and starts to root for them, I mean, it's just, what hometown pride do you have? Exactly. Well, it was funny because I got the the argument from a number of people. It's like, well, the Rams just moved like 2,000 miles closer to you. Shouldn't you be more of a fan <laughs> now? I'm like, absolutely not. That is that is not the point. I mean, fortunately, from a sports standpoint, I'm still a big St. Louis sports fan. I've got my Blues and my Cardinals, but more so, St. St. Louis is a gem of a city that I'm excited. You know, it's it's still got a lot of work to do, but I'm excited to see a lot of creators there, a lot of entrepreneurs there. They're doing some great things for that city, and and I hope to to do my part to to help it along someday as well. So I want to go back just to, and, and kind of dive a little into that momentary crisis that you sort of talked about earlier of, of when you sort of felt like yeah. you weren't doing it. How do you, how do you coach someone through that today? I, I know you say you're not a coach, but what would you go back and sort of tell yourself if you were able to come out of body and go back now that you know what you know, what's the kind of things that you would say, what's the kind of actions you would take? And, and if you, if you go to the start of 2016, uh, Chris, what would you have told that guy to kind of get him off the bump? I would say the biggest thing, and I'm, I'm going to simplify this pretty well is just start and be proud of starting. Mm -hmm. Because I think for me, starting was not the biggest obstacle because I, you know, I, I've started a number of things. You know, I think having that performance background, having played in bands, I've been able to figurative, figuratively and literally jump on stage before and go at it. I think the biggest thing is once you get going, share that with people because mm. not only will I mean, you'll people will be surprised at the amount of positive they res, positive response they get from starting. That'll be a motivator for that person, but it'll also hold that person accountable. Honestly, because once you get going, I mean, it, it does help. Once you got a couple eyes on you to be like, all right, I gotta I gotta get the next episode out. I gotta get the next article out. Whatever it is that you're doing, that would be my biggest piece of advice. Just start, 
and be proud of it. It's it's an interesting uh, feedback too that a lot of people will say social media is bad, social media is bad. But in, in a lot of senses, it's a, an amplifier that kind of an amplification of the motivation too. Um, and anyone that you were surprised to reconnect with through these sort of new social sharing that you've done that was like, ah, gosh, I'm really glad we were able to reconnect through a, a moment of sharing something that, that you cared about. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's funny. It, it, it happens on an almost weekly basis right now, whether it's someone from high school that I haven't talked to for years, whether it's a potential guest to have on my show that's also out, you know, moving and shaking and doing big things in, in the real world now that we're all, I guess, work, working responsible adults. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is one of the most fascinating things is as a major extrovert, I love the energy I get from even a simple conversation with someone that's moving to a city where I've done a podcast and they're like, hey, Chris, can you tell me a little bit about the nightlife in that spot? Or whether it's someone that's, you know, I knew in college that says, hey, Chris, I'm looking to start this new project. And, you know, what would be your advice for getting off of square one? I mean, I because I, I, I love that. If I can help someone find the right bar or start the project that will bring them a lot of fulfillment. That's what really keeps me going mm-hmm. with, uh, with the podcast and the video series. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will, will be afraid to share things because they don't want to appear like a, like a show off. Um, does, did, did you ever have that fear as you were sort of saying, Oh gosh, like, or is my, are the people that I know on Facebook or on whatever Instagram or on, on, on LinkedIn, are they going to actually, um, respect me more for doing these things at all? How did you address that sort of fear that we all have? Yeah, it's, uh, I think the, 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 the area where there might've been the most self doubt was throwing it on LinkedIn. Mm, yep. Um, and, and I'll talk specifically to the manufacturer happy hour video series because for me to put something personal like the pubcast up on Facebook you know th- there's a little bit of intimidation in terms of hey what are your friends gonna think what are you you know your uh, acquaintance what's your acquaintance network gonna think but there's I, I would say there was less pressure on me than hey what happens when I put this professional video series out on LinkedIn what is my professional network gonna think of me is that gonna mm-hmm. is that gonna knock me into you know some pariah within the manufacturing industry or is it going to be well received that's where I probably had the the most fear in terms of sharing something like this for the first time but the reality is I mean it was almost the same reaction as it was on Facebook I put it out there and there were a number of positive responses and more often than not the response around it is hey, this is really cool. And I think it goes back to keeping that balance of having fun with it, but also make sure you're being very conscious about the type of content you're putting out there because there, and I feel like I'll always be trying to walk this line and strike this balance in my career because I am kind of a, a fun-loving, non-traditional kind of kind of guy that right. just happens to be in the corporate world. It's finding a way to intru- uh, include your personality, but also finding a way to do that that's professional and bringing something to the industry that the industry really needs. You've talked about a lot of the platforms. You've talked about you use, you know, podcasting and, and all the platforms. You use YouTube. You use. You talked about Medium as the blogging platform. What are the the sort of the the social type of platforms out there that you're most excited to try that you haven't yet? Uh, what what are those? You know, have you spent a lot of time using Instagram, or are you looking at 
other sorts of platforms out there that that you're key to maybe spread the message to next? You know, I, I maybe maybe I should be looking at some of the new social platforms that are on the horizon because I, I haven't say I've been looking as closely at that. I mentioned I was trying to get more strategic in my marketing efforts and my audience growth efforts this year. And uh, one one piece of advice I always give people is try to figure out where your audience is at. And That's in right. the case of podcasts worldwide, where people are posting a lot of pictures of beer and spots, Instagram, I mean, is mm-hmm. where that audience tends to be. So I'd say not so much looking at a new platform, but looking out, looking at how can I be more effective at marketing in the spots where I know my audience is at? Because a lot of 2017 was just figuring things out, learning where my audience was, learning how to do a podcast, trying a lot of different things. This year, it's more about kind of systematizing that and then being strategic about where I spend my time. So the, I want to ask one, one more tactical question, then I'll, I'll ask a couple of recap questions. Talk to me about people oftentimes say, I don't have enough time to do these things. You know, you've got a full-time intense job at a big deal company and you know, you've sort of got a social life. What time do you think you spend on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis, uh, breaking it down into the two activities you do, just to give people a context of, you put out 30 sort of uh, podcast episodes last year yep. and a couple, a couple, what, about the same number probably of, of YouTube videos. Um, what's the approximate time that you find yourself spending on these two sort of side projects, so to speak? Boy, I uh, I, I don't want to scare people, but I mean, it's, it is it is a time commitment to mm-hmm. do these type of things. And, and I'll, 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 I'll backtrack a little bit here. You know, a typical full-time job, I would put mine in that category. You know, you're looking at somewhere between 40 and 60 hours, depending right. on the week. That can vary. And then a passion project like the Pubcast, add an additional, you know, I would say 12 hours to that mm-hmm. um, for producing an episode, marketing it, getting it out there. So, I mean, you could look at a 70 hour week. Every week you're spending on that uh, about 12, uh, 10 hours a week, 10 to 12 hours a week. Yep. I would, I would be confident in saying that. And you know what? I'm totally okay with that at yeah, this totally. point. I, mm-hmm. I, cause I, I, I love putting together a show. I love putting together something that helps my guests tell their story. And I love getting that out to the world. And I think one of the biggest things is even when something takes a lot of time with that, if you found the thing that really drives you and you're really passionate about, all of a sudden those hours don't matter quite as much. Long hours, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm just cruising on it at this point. And the reality is that 12 hours looked a lot longer before, but as you get, I shouldn't say a lot longer, but a bit longer before, I mean, you'll start learning things along the way and be able being able to consolidate that. I think at some point I'm hoping to start outsourcing some of that production work uh, yeah. so I can focus more on growth. I think that's, you know, we're, we're kind of getting into the business aspect of this. Like now that it has grown, it's like, how can I free up my time to do other things that will allow it to grow? more. So uh, there's certainly the value of getting into the habit and and spending the time time with it. But the reality is there are plenty of things that, in my opinion, can be cut out of a schedule, whether that's brunch on a Sunday or, you know, there are a lot of things that people right. think are necessary to do with their time, but you can scale those back a little bit. You don't have to cut out your social life because at the end of the day, I've still got a great social life, but the reality is you might be going to brunch a little less. You might have to skip that hike in the Redwoods that that weekend. There are going to be sacrifices that need to be made, but if you're really loving whatever that creative project is, 
you'll very quickly realize that the trade-off is worth it. Totally. It's it's why you talked earlier about trying to find ways to bring those circles together. It's it's all amplifying where you want to go. And, and I think you, you said something that was just important to bring back and, and probably a good way for us to recap is you have an aspirational sense of where you want to be. One day I would like to be a CMO of some sorts of companies. And so each of these are sort of, you know, and, and what you're hopefully doing is, is shortening the time window that sort of you've developed a portfolio of work that, you know, sets you up for that type of a role. And I think that's that while someone may look and say like, gosh, this guy is all over the place. The reality is, is you're incredibly strategic about it. You're looking at these as elements to be able to have sort of leave no stone unturned to sort of show that you've done all the things so that, yeah, if you're at, if you're, you know, the youngest CMO at a fortune 500 company at 32, right? Like that's fine (laughs) because you are, you know what I mean? Like those are the sorts of things that can do when you've been sort of attacking these systematically. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I appreciate you kind of bringing that back together too. Cause the reality is while, while you're right, these things can kind of seem like disjointed, you know, passion projects. There is certainly a strategy that I have behind it. And, and, you know, we were talking about the time that goes into a project like this, the most common excuse. And I think we we've touched on this a couple of times is people will say they're busy and busy is the most arbitrary term I think in the world, because I, even, even when I have a lot of things going on, I never tell people I'm busy. I just tell people I'm very focused on a couple very strategic, large tasks, right? Because that still indicates they're taking up time, but it doesn't mean your time is flowing in a lot of different directions that you don't have control of. It's the thing that you, if you're, you can be busy or you can be sort of accomplishing things and spending the time that takes. And I I think they're different to, to sort of, to think through. And, and I think, think that the what I tell anyone before they're going to tackle any project is is especially you know you're you're committing 10 hours a week you're committing 20 hours a week if you t- take both of these you just have to make sure that they're strategically aligned to where you want to go and if you do that you're you know 10x more likely to finish it than if it's just something that's a fun sort of hobby hobbies are great but I think that even making those hobbies that you want to turn into your full-time job or a side job or whatever it may be I, I think that you have to just be real with yourself that we uh, we can come with excuses unless it's tied to a strategic aim that we have uh, and that we want to accomplish yep I, I think a big thing is people People just need to be very intentional with their time. Um, and and I think focus is one of the best words that sums that up. Did you ever, I'll, I'll, last question, then I'll give you sort of the, I want to do some rapid fire questions. Did you, did you ever say like, maybe I should go back and get a graduate degree? Did you have that mental process where you were sort of like reflecting on what to do? Did you think maybe I should go get my MBA and, and, instead of doing this? Yeah, I, I, oh, definitely. I mean, I've taken my, <laughs> I, I've taken my GMAT before. I think there you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, those scores are still out there. They're still valid. They're not great, but they're there. Um, yeah, it, that, that thought definitely crossed my mind. And then over the past year and a half, I've been very comfortable with the fact that, you know what? A graduate degree is not the most strategic thing for me to be doing right now. The most strategic thing I can be doing is learning through manufacturing happy hour, the podcast, and then through my day job as well. I think a, a big thing people need to look at any type of project or a job for that matter is whether it's what you want to be doing the rest of your life, it is a tremendous learning opportunity. You're going to get something from that one way or another. And if there was any piece of advice I could have gone back and given like 22, 23 year old Chris right out of college, it's 
you know, look at everything you do over the next eight years, heck, even maybe over the rest of your life as a learning opportunity. The, uh, the Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft says we, he wants to hire learn it alls, not know it alls. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, the best way to think about it. You're, you're spot on though, this, this sense of you've basically built your own master's degree over the last year. And where someone would say they would spend 20 hours paying someone, you know, 20 to $50,000 a year to sort of sit in a classroom, you've basically done it for a couple hundred bucks and a lot of beers. And, <laughs> and I think it's, you know, I mean, it's true though. You, yeah. you've, you've basically been able to, to invest that in yourself and you now have a portfolio versus borrowing credibility from some institution. And, and I think that's the, the, it's a good case study about when you have those moments of crisis to, to maybe not think about kind of, should I go to school? Should I switch jobs? But what do you create that can sort of give you that sort of the, those feelings of dopamine from uh, from friends, social media, from advancement that's happening? And, and that's it's awesome to see. I love it. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think a, a fun little hashtag that kind of sums up what you were suggesting that I came up with through the course of the pubcast was I describe it as craft your own life. So kind of a beer mm. pun in there, but it's one of those things yeah. where people can look at their their jobs and their life. You don't necessarily have to follow the typical narrative of going through your career. I, I don't want to say blindly, but just looking for that next promotion, doing all the things you think you should be doing. There are a lot of ways to kind of craft the way you want your lifestyle and your job to look and learn along the way. And I think the way you described it where doing kind of a, a quote unquote master's degree over a lot of beers is exactly kind of where I came up with, with that, that idea of crafting the life that you want to live. That's right. I, I have a, one of my authors is a woman named Monica, Monica Fritz, and she wrote a book called graduate your beer craft. And, uh, and that book got her a job in the largest beer distributor on the East coast. And it was just similar to you. It's like, everyone thinks, Oh, that's funny. That's cute. You're working on a book about beer. And lo and behold, here she is, has a job in, in the industry she loves. And so I, if you're, if you're ever in the New York area, she's, she's someone I would put on your list to talk to. Cause I think her story of creating her way into beer is, is a fascinating one. That's her whole job now is something that was, everyone else thought was this cute little fun thing. I will absolutely have to do that. Cause I think New York, City and New York State just might be on the uh, list of destinations for Pubcast Worldwide next year. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll make that introduction whenever, whenever you're ready. When you're in DC next, I want to be on the uh, the Pubcast, even if that means I have to buy a lot of beers to uh, bribe my way on, but, uh, <laughs> but, but put me on the list. Eric, we will make that happen. I love it. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir.